0: In these most difficult of times, many people have struggled to deal with the numerous emotional challenges that the pandemic has presented to us all. John Bockelman-Evans is a psychotherapist and emotional health expert who works with individuals and organizations in the UK and internationally, helping people to enjoy a sense of well-being and to be as emotionally and mentally healthy as possible. I spoke to John about a range of coping strategies that might be employed by those looking to gain some control of their lives in these still very uncertain times. Okay, John, thanks so much for uh, joining me uh, for this podcast. Okay, so so you work in the area uh, of mental health and emotional well-being. Tell me a bit about some of the work you do with companies, first of all. Who do you work for and, and what do you do when you, when you go out to meet these people?
1: Uh, good morning, Fran. So in the good old days, mm-hmm. when I used to go out and meet people, um, my client list would vary. Uh, I started off originally working with schools, teaching staff and support staff, then later older pupils, and even parents, uh, and then it moved from schools to working with corporates. Um, and in recent years, I've worked with um, big companies such as Nike uh, over in Russia, with Dow in Europe and Switzerland, um, with Merck Pharmaceuticals, which is also in Russia, and loads of companies in the UK as well.
0: Right, okay. And that work that you do, do you carry that out with individuals as well, individual clients too? Uh,
1: in the early days, I, uh, for, so for 15 years, I ran a, um, a private practice as a psychotherapist. Uh, and I would see then individuals who were often referred to me from their organisations for some one-to-one mentoring, um, assistance, therapy, um, whatever was needed, but um, for the last five or six years, I've focused purely on running training courses and speaking at conferences and avoided the one-to-one stuff.
0: Okay. Can you tell me then what, the, what kind of work you would have done then? You said, yeah, in the good old days, I'd go out and meet the, the clients and, and work with them. And you mentioned a, a number of places which you would do that. Um, what did that work entail? And how has that changed in, in, in the last, last months?
1: Well, so in the in the good old day, or like I used to, to call it uh, BC, for 20 years BC, before COVID, uh, I yes, used yeah. to um, go into organisations and I would work often with leadership or high potential employees um, to help them to manage the challenges that they may face in life. Now, that could be anything and everything. So it could be professional challenges. So just dealing with the workload or the difficulty and the complexity of working in big organizations, having to manage other people in their team. Um, Or it could be personal issues that, you know, the sort of things that everyone uh, experiences now and again, where, you know, we have illnesses, we have relationship problems, we have issues with our kids. Uh, We have crisis in our finances, uh, you know, so it could be anything. And often those two, where the professional and the personal would collide, that's often where the pinch point would come and where an individual would really struggle. So my approach was to give them a range of tools, strategies and techniques that they could use to help them regain perspective, regain a sense of control over their lives and feel that they could get through whatever it
0: was that they were dealing with. Sure. Thinking, you know, going back before you started doing this work, was there a prevalence of this kind of work around or is this something that's grown over the past 20 years, 10 years, even five years? So, Are we more open to discussing the, the problems and, and challenges we face in the workplace and personally? And and, and are we different as we go from country to country with that?
1: I would say that it, 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 there's been a, a quiet revolution over the last 20 years. When I first started, um, it was the focus was on stress. So can you come in and help us to deal with stress? And people openly talked about stress. Now stress has kind of disappeared slightly from the conversation. It's. It's the elephant in the room, if you like. So rather than talking about stress, they talk about the more positive aspects of, well, let's improve people's well-being or their coping strategies or make them mentally stronger or improve their resilience. Uh, I mean, and also during the last 20 years, what has changed significantly is our approach to the whole field of mental health. So um, when I first started out, uh, mental health was still viewed as... A, a very separate area of medicine and health to physical health whereas now I think it's much more seen on a on a par with it and companies are totally on board with the mental health agenda
0: yeah yeah we we hear about a lot about it don't we in uh in the news and um on news style programs like breakfast news and, and all that and uh, there's a, a a prevalence of of Information, if you like, and 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 programs, you know, fronted by well-known people, who you know, a lot, a lot of people wouldn't have expected them to be struggling with a particular uh, problem, but we see it, you know, sports stars, presenters, all kinds of people in the in the public eye, are uh, coming forward and saying they they've had their own private struggles with um with their with a, a whole range of issues. Uh, do do you think there's still a stigma attached that that we're losing that, or do you think it's going to be there? Will it always be there?
1: I I think in the media and when you have high profile celebs sports people coming forward and talking about their their struggles with mental health issues I think the stigma has really reduced if, if, if it's there at all now I think it's very mm-hmm. acceptable um you know possibly even compulsory to have uh, you know to, to everyone needs to show that they're in touch with their with their emotional side and 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 that talking about struggles they've had from a mental health perspective over the years um, gives them a degree of authenticity and vulnerability that is that people relate to that said i think out there in society in general i don't i think i think there is still a stigma and i think people still shy away from admitting to colleagues or to their manager or if you went for a job interview um You know, putting your hand up right at the start or saying, yes, I've had a series of mental health problems. I think a lot of people would still feel a little bit uh, uncomfortable doing that and would be
0: concerned that it
1: perhaps would adversely affect their career. Mm.
0: possibilities because uh, yeah there's a feeling that one might still feel reluctant uh when you don't have the backup if you like of fame and money and uh, a, a group of people well-known faces maybe who can rally round to support you and give you that 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 backup um, whereas for an individual without all that it could be still a lonely place and something they might, might fear um, What what's the advice you're giving now to companies because you, you've had to redefine haven't you the way that you work and the way you deliver your your, your help and your content to to organisations I understand that's changed now you're, you're helping them to prepare and move forward uh, in, into the great unknown as it were because no one knows really what, what's around the corner how has that changed?
1: Well I would say that um, the pandemic, you know, since since March, the challenges and the uncertainty that we have faced, that everyone faces at the moment, um, that has definitely brought into sharp focus issue, more issues about mental health. Because people are being asked to do things that they wouldn't normally do, and they're working in different ways, they're having to juggle home and work in a way that, you know, most people didn't have to. I think the there is a risk that we are putting too much emphasis on mental health problems, um, and what I mean by that is that, in general, if you ask people, "Well, what do mental health? What, do, what does having a mental health problem mean to you?" Um, often, that leads itself on to people saying, "Well, if I had a mental health problem, it would mean that I'd probably need to get external help." Uh, And that would probably be in the form of medication or interaction with the mental health services, which might involve inpatient or outpatient care. Uh, There's a feeling that maybe it's inevitable. So if there are mental health problems in the family, you know, a parent or a grandparent had depression, well, why why should I be surprised if I get it because, you know, it's in the family. Uh, and there's this overall feeling that this is a manage a situation that has to be managed rather than cured. It's not going to be healed. It's going to be with you for a long, long time. Will probably crop up again in the future. So overall, it's a fairly disempowering construct. To be as soon as you're in the box of uh, having a mental health problem, all of those things tend to bubble up in people's psyche. Um, so I prefer to. Um, i encourage people to see the issues that were that are being generated especially as a result of the pandemic where we're anxious about things but being anxious about your health or the health of your loved ones or being anxious about losing your job or the economic circumstances or the future of your kids in terms of education and career aspirations and so etc that is perfectly normal under these current circumstances mm-hmm. yeah and i don't think that that anxiety constitutes a mental health problem. I think it constitutes an emotional health problem. And the difference between the two, whilst in some ways those two terms are used interchangeably, but as soon as you you think about an emotional health problem, the construct, as it were, or the concept of it in our mind tends to change. And emotional health problems, we tend to view as something that we have some agency over. we, we feel, well, there are emotions, we can change those. Um, we're able to talk to friends or supportive other people in our lives, whether it's a therapist or a, someone from the religious community that we relate to, or we go on and look at, at a helpful YouTube video or something. Um, we, we also f- understand that emotional problems tend to get better You know, if you go through a big, messy relationship breakdown, it's unpleasant. But a year, two, three years down the line, we recognise that we're going to recover from that and get back to some kind of normality. So immediately when you think of something as an emotional health problem, it becomes much more empowering. And people feel that they've got some control over it. So I'm a bit cautious about continuing the narrative that mental health problems are now sweeping the country left, right and centre. Because, you know, I, I think that di- that takes away control from people and makes them feel even less in control of their lives. And at the moment, we feel slightly out of control with lots of areas of our lives. And the last thing is we need to f- feel out of control with the, an important aspect of our health as well.
0: Right, okay. Would you say that the pandemic then and the problems that it's caused, you know, wholesale, <laughs> globally, worldwide, so forth, uh, has that given us a, an opportunity to redefine our relationship with the 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 term mental health Do do you think that this is bringing into sharp focus the anxieties that we're going to face anyway in life but because it's multiplied them by 10 maybe it gives us the a little bit of empowerment to be able to deal with how we respond to some of those
1: i think it has because almost all of us have had to deal with some issues during this pandemic of being fearful or anxious or perhaps angry at the loss of a business or the, 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 the stunting of a young person's ambitions, whatever it is, so many of us have had to face those issues that we're in danger of saying, well, every single person has got a mental health problem. And, and once that happens, that's not helpful because you know that's the norm for us all to have mental health problems whereas i think reconceptualizing some of these issues and understanding the fundamentals of what our emotional health are is a much more positive way to proceed and and it, i think the what, what what this pandemic has really done is given us an opportunity to really educate people from a young age about what emotional health is because if you if you ask a bunch of people what do you have to do to be physically healthy Almost everyone will very quickly come up with some answers in common. So yes, you need to eat good stuff. You need to do some exercise. You shouldn't do the bad things like drinking or smoking. Whereas if you ask, ask a big bunch of people, well, what do you need to do to be emotionally healthy? You'll get a much more disparate set of answers and less people are less clear on what, what you need to do to be emotionally healthy. But being emotionally healthy is relatively straightforward. Um, but it's, it's a, there's a knowledge gap in our society. It's not taught in schools. It's not even really taught to healthcare professionals. Um, so, but understanding what fundamentally you can do to be emotionally healthy immediately gives you this sense of, uh, of control and calmness and authority over your
0: this important aspect of your health. Well, wow, okay. Okay. Is that easy to attain then, that knowledge?
1: So, so it can be explained um, in, in two minutes. So in the same way that all humans have a common set of basic physical needs that we have to get met in order for us to live, so mm-hmm. oxygen, obviously food and water and temperature regulation, uh, movement, sleep. Um, we un- and we understand that those physical requirements for life, they're not optional if you want to live you have to eat end of story but we also have a common set of basic emotional needs and if those emotional needs uh, are and there's 10 11 of them depending how you, how you count them but if those those emotional needs are also not optional but the difference is we tend to think they are because if you don't sure. get one of your emotional needs met you don't die within a few days mm-hmm. in the way that if you don't if you don't have access to water you will pretty quickly die whereas emotional needs don't tend to kill you overnight but the problems that they can bring into your life if you're not if you don't get those emotional needs met in constructive beneficial positive ways can end up causing massive damage because we're we are compelled to get our emotional needs met one way or the other so if we if we don't know or if the circumstances don't exist for us to get our emotional needs met in constructive positive ways we are still um, driven by our DNA to get those emotional needs met and and that's you know whether it's in a positive way or a negative way and that's when people start getting into addictions and negative behavior self-destructive behavior behavior that hijacks relationships and careers um, and can ultimately lead to a curtailing of that person's life so understanding the construct, understanding, right, what are the, what are the 10 uh, basic emotional needs that we all have, if people were given that knowledge from a young age and were f- helped to understand, right, I need to get this particular need met, ways to do this are A, B, C. And then they would see, right? Well, if I'm not doing it in a positive way, well, I'm, I can see now that mm, you know, taking drugs, drinking too much alcohol, get, developing a gambling habit—that's helping me to get that emotional need met in a way that's not going to work out well long term. Um,
0: what are they then? What? What are the ten? What are the? Pass them over and uh, <laughs> release the goal. Do we all know, or is it? You know, is it right under our notice, or or is it?
1: well they they so are, are so they big, all, you know, all to, to have
0: to pay you for this bit <laughs> <laughs> no they they <laughs>
1: so they are uh, very straightforward um, okay and That's the most doing. i mean just to whiz through them because otherwise we're going to get bogged yeah. down in so yeah. they are feeling secure so in, in the same way that we need physical safety, and it, we're, you know people out there will be listening to this, and if they've done any psychology at all, they'll be thinking of Maslow's hierarchy of needs at this point. Um, and it, th- this, this kind of organizing idea I'm talking about touches upon Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but it, it expands upon it. Um, so at, at the fundamental level, we need to feel physically safe, and, in order, and you cannot feel emotionally secure unless you feel physically safe. So if you're homeless living on, in a cardboard box under a bridge somewhere. You don't feel physically safe. Well, you're not going to feel emotionally secure, which partly explains why so many homeless people have mental health problems, because the very first emotional need that they need to get met yeah. is is not working for them. So we, we need a sense of control and autonomy over our lives so that we feel we can choose how to live our lives. Um, mm-hmm. We have to give attention to things That's how we grow and we learn, and we need to receive attention back towards us in return to validate who we are. We need a sense of achievement and competence so that we recognize as we put an effort into something, we become better at it, we become skilled, we become really good at it, and that inspires us to take on bigger challenges. Well, if I can do this, I can do that. If I could do that, who knows what I could achieve? We need status and respect so that we feel comfortable with who we are. We're not trying to live our lives. We're not trying to copy someone else's idea of what it is to be a good person. We need connections in our lives. So on an, from an emotional connection perspective, so top of the list, a primary relationship, someone we can tell everything to. We can take the mask off and share our inner thoughts and our fears and our aspirations and dreams and failures. We need friendship groups. So we don't tell our friends absolutely everything. It's too much for most of them. But we're on the same journey with these people. So we have things in common. And then we need a sense of community. So we feel like we belong somewhere. We look around and we we identify with people around us who are similar. We need some privacy. And that means a bit of downtime. Time to yourself to reflect on things. Not planning next week's, you know, schedule. It's just easing off the gas, letting your mind do the meta-analysis of your life. So time to think over, am I really happy with the way it's all going? Do I need to make some big decisions here? All that kind of stuff. We need beauty in our lives. The ability to recognise beauty in nature, in art, in other people, and ideally that we feel that someone recognises some beauty in in us. We need a sense of pride and approval so that we we feel proud of other people. And in turn, we understand that they feel proud of what we do and they approve of what we do. And then finally, a sense of meaning and purpose to our life. I mean, why bother? Why get out of bed in the morning? What's the point? So if we can understand really what motivates us, what makes it all worth it, that sense of meaning and purpose really carries us through all sorts of difficult times. So those are them in a nutshell.
0: Wow, well, thank you for that. All of those things, you'd say those are actual necessities. They're not just the the nice-to-haves. They are absolutely crucial. And if we're missing, I assume that some of those pieces, if they're missing, are, are less vital to some than others if you know what I mean you know some people are quite solitary and quite enjoy um, having a very small uh, number of friends and so forth whereas others with the same number of friends might be hankering for a bigger group a more diverse dynamic group to go out and and share their lives with and and the thing about beauty just you know that's a necessity yeah okay we'll come back to this another time because that's really very very interesting to me it's the first time I've heard that well
1: we know from so Yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, every human is different, and therefore the blend of ways that the emotional needs that they require are different. We're not; it's not all exactly the same for all of us. But we know from every culture on the planet, no matter how, from the s- most sophisticated, you know, East Coast West Coast uh, high life person to the most primitive cultures living in remote parts of the world these needs are common they might be expressed in different ways in different cultures but they are all fundamentally there wow okay
0: yeah yeah amazing i was going to say actually have you got something that you could pass on you know as as we go into this next bit of uh dealing with the virus and have you got anything you would pass on any simple um coping mechanisms you could pass on to anybody listening um, uh, to help with anxiety. So okay. the,
1: the first thing and the thing that I teach everyone, so whether I'm running a webinar, whether I'm speaking to a conference, you know, whether it's in the UK, the US, the Russia, it doesn't matter. Everyone gets this particular technique. It's called 7-Eleven breathing. And this technique helps you to manage your emotional state. And that's about the most important thing that any of us can do. Because when we're we're in the grip of powerful emotions, especially negative emotions, so anxiety, fear, anger, frustration, then we become pretty stupid, we make poor decisions, and we get sucked into the situation and lose all sense of perspective. You know, and, and from a corporate point of view, we lose all our soft skills. So soft soft skills are communication, collaboration, creativity, the ability to step back and see the bigger picture and all that kind of stuff. So all of that goes out the window when we are gripped by powerful emotions. So, and and let's face it at the moment, we're all gripped by powerful emotions. You turn the news on, you're gonna be gripped by powerful emotions. So this technique is vital. Again, it's one of those, we should all learn this from a young age and whether we use it or not, That's up to us, but at least we would fundamentally know how to do this technique. It's called 7-11 breathing. The reason for that is you breathe in for a count of seven, you breathe out for a count of 11. It's not seven seconds and 11 seconds before people start worrying that they can't breathe that slowly. It's just a normal count of seven and a normal count of 11. And the reason that this technique is so effective, and I've used virtually every breathing technique over the years, and this is the one I keep coming back to, Is because it works with our physiology. So, what that means is our physiology, the systems in our bodies that work automatically in the background and that keep us alive. When we're relaxed and we're breathing automatically without thinking about it, the ratio of our in breath to out breath more or less is 7 11. So, we're breathing in the amount of time we spend breathing in is shorter than the amount of time we spend breathing out. When we get emotional, when that fight or flight response is activated or our stress response, that relationship changes. So now our in-breath becomes longer than our out-breath and that's called hyperventilation. And hyperventilation sets off a cascade of reactions within our bodies that end up making us feel more emotional. So we end up in a vicious cycle. So the reason that this technique is so good is for people who are even a bit skeptical about breathing techniques. Some people are, you know, I don't believe in breathing techniques, um, especially not counting and breathing. That's real mumbo jumbo. So for them, this technique still works because the mechanism through which it works is physiological, not psychological. In other words, you don't have to believe in this technique. It still works. And it's just breathing in for seven, breathing out for 11. Ideally, as you breathe in, you get the air down to the bottom of your lungs, which means doing belly breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. So you send the air down. And the way you know that's happening is if you place your hand on your stomach as you breathe in, you should feel your stomach rise a little bit. And then as you breathe out, it drops back down again. So let me just for the benefit of the people listening to this okay, let me okay. just talk you through the pacing of this by counting it through a couple of times just shall to I give do people
0: it? shall I do it do you, you do it it'll give, it'll okay, give so you, you count
1: I'll count okay. you do it so, it gives so you I'll an idea and what I would say yeah. is that you've got to con- yeah. you've got to regulate your breathing obviously most people are okay yeah. with the in-breath some people find that when they're breathing out they get rid of the air too quickly. so if you've yeah. breathed out by the time I get yeah. to three, yeah, then yeah. getting to 11 yeah. seems impossible so if you find yeah. that happening the way around it is you purse your lips as if you're blowing through a drinking straw and uh a, <laughs> you know table that. football yeah. with uh, a drinking no, straw or yeah okay yeah no, we couldn't afford <laughs> or blowing bubbles a in your that's beer weird, yeah. um, okay okay so are you ready yeah. so
0: yeah i, and I know seven eleven as well so and i i do it so yeah we'll go through it uh because it is okay yeah Okay, yeah, I'll so, ignore that bit. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, so I'm okay. going to start breathing in. Okay, now. so here
1: we go. Breathing in. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Breathing out. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Breathing in. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Breathing out. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. And breathe normally.
0: Okay. 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 Maybe I, I put my nose up to the the mic here to to get some of that <laughs> in. Um, and how many times would you say you would you would need to do that? Um, so and what what about the uh, just to cut in there? What about the the short term versus the long term? Because there is I I've done Seven Eleven and it was taught to me by somebody about ten years ago, and it made a massive difference to my life. <laughs> okay, as someone who did yeah quite a lot of presenting in the way that that you do um, it was huge the difference that it made to my ability to communicate to large groups of people without always being on the back foot thinking what if I get something wrong what if I get something wrong it was great um and the person who talked it to me said yeah that he did it every morning uh, he saw it as an investment for the day you know it just calms you down at the first thing but I find myself yeah. doing it when I can't sleep when I'm just you know feeling a bit I've got a lot to do and well so how many times would you say to do that in any day, it'll vary for different people. What if you're anxious now? You've never done seven eleven breathing. How do you introduce that little program?
1: So, what I would say is, bear in mind what you're doing here is just normal, healthy, relaxed breathing. Mm-hmm. So you cannot overdo it. So that doesn't mean you have to think yeah. about doing it all the time. But yeah. if you're thinking, "Oh well, I've done too much of this," or "What if I get stuck in?" It? that that won't happen. So as Whatever is right for you, however much you can do, do that much. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the other thing is that yeah. we all live relatively stressful lives these days. Even if we enjoy the stress, the buzz, the cut and thrust, that is changing the, the breathing pattern subtly. So every now and again, whether you're you know, walking around your house, whether you're going out on your daily walk, whether you're meeting someone somewhere, if you're driving in your car, if you're on your bike... Just do a little bit of 7-Eleven because it reminds the respiratory centre of your brain what normal, healthy, relaxed breathing feels like. Pepper your day with it. Use it as a a punctuation mark. If you come out of a difficult meeting and you've got to go and meet some other client or do something else, use it there and then just for 10 seconds, 2 minutes, whatever time you've got available for you, just to reconnect with the relaxation the the relaxation response in in your body, which is the opposite of the fight or flight.
0: Have you got another technique as well for for people who maybe know 7-Eleven breathing and who might might find, you know, that's good, but they they want something a little bit extra?
1: Yes, I have, Fran. And um, this other technique is um, one that I first recorded it on my online course about how to cope during the coronavirus crisis, because I realised that people were getting... When we're faced with negativity, what can often happen is we end up with negative loops, negative thoughts looping around our mind, um, preventing us from focusing on what we actually need to focus on, either work-wise or our family. uh, And we can end up caught in a cycle of unhelpful negative thoughts. So I developed this technique, um, and I call it the mind wipe. It's very simple. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you just take a minute or two to do this technique, and it helps to break those cycles of negative thoughts. Um, so you start off, if you're, sit- see if you're sitting down, I'm sitting down at my desk as we record this, so it's a good example. So as I sit here, what I would do is, first of all, I would look for four colors in the environment that I'm looking in. So you notice four distinct, specific colors Think about those colours. Give them names, so I can see a blue. I can see a, a burgundy. I can see a bright red. I can see a grey. Then I think about three sounds in the environment. Well, you and I here at uh, Fran is slightly contrived because we're recording a podcast so we've tried to remove as much sound as we possibly can from our environments but normally wherever you are if you tune in you can hear some sounds you might hear sounds from outside of the room you might hear the gentle hum of your computer maybe you can hear bird noise perhaps uh, the sound of traffic outside but normally there are some sounds in almost any environment so you've got four colors three sounds then you're looking for two touch sensations. So place your hands on the desk and feel the surface of the desk. Is it cool? Is it warm? Is it rough, smooth? Or place your fingertips together and just notice the sensation of your uh, fingertips and your fingerprints rubbing up against each other. You, want, you notice the, the sensation of the, of, the, of the chair against the back of your legs or your feet on the floor even. So you're tuning into that sensation. And then lastly, you look to detect one single aroma. So it might be really subtle. You might be able to get something, even if you can't, if you can't smell anything obvious, you could pick something up. I'm picking up my phone. I can just smell a little bit of plastic on there. So you bring it all together then. You've, you've looked around, now you've got four colors, three sounds two such sensations, and one aroma. And when you do that by putting your senses outwards, rather than directing them inwards, you've directed your, four of your five senses to our outward sources, it it breaks the cycle of thoughts that you're in. So now when, you, when you've done that little process, which you can you do, it literally takes 30 seconds, now, when you come back to, you can refocus your attention on the piece of work, on sorting out the kids, on doing whatever it is you want to do. The mind wipe is extremely
0: effective. Cool. I will go for it. I don't know that one. So I'll, I'll try that out. And I'm sure that will be uh, <coughs> successful. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll let you know. There we go. John, thank you uh, so much for your, your time today. I really do uh, appreciate it. Uh, one last thing. Have you got anything else you might leave people, something to, to, to take with them before we can do that? Yeah,
1: what I would say is that when times are tough like this, um, we tend to focus on the problems and we tend to focus on the things that are causing us difficulties. And it's quite easy to forget about all the fantastic resources that we've all got as individuals in the background that can help us to cope with these difficult things. So perhaps next time I'll go through a a way of reminding people of what those resources are. Because when you feel overwhelmed, sometimes you you feel you haven't got anything to come back at the situation with. Whereas actually, we've all got loads of resources in the background that we tend to forget about. So reminding ourselves of those is a really useful way forward. And then the other thing I'd say is that no matter how much you might feel at the moment that your life is out of control, that you're constantly being told what to do, um, you know, and maybe it's sticking in your throat a little bit, whether it's wearing a mask and not being allowed out at certain places, you can't meet your friends, whatever it is, can't meet family in some cases, just be aware that you have got control over so much in your life, even if it's just the day-to-day stuff. You can control what time in the morning you wake up, what time you go to bed, when you're going to eat your meals. You can control the clothes that you wear. You can control how you sit, how you stand. I know these things seem like obvious and, oh, well, you're joking, aren't you? Everyone has control over that. But the truth is not everyone does. Um, so the small things, in the absence of being able to control the big issues in our life, give us that feeling that our lives aren't spiralling hopelessly out, uh, from away from us. So maybe even write down a list of things that every single day you have control of. Your attitude, your mindset, your humour, your uh, approach to other people, your approach to yourself. All of these things um, are powerful ways of feeling like you still have
0: control over your life. Right. Okay. So, so that the the, the physical actor uh, and of doing that and being able to look at a long list of things that you do, actually have some say over that you do have. Yeah. Very often things we take for them.
1: granted. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we've been taking a lot for granted, and, and and in March, a lot of things that we took for granted suddenly stopped being available to us. But there's a huge number of other things that we take for granted that we shouldn't and writing them down seeing them in front of us helps us to appreciate what we've got in our lives
0: great okay i will do that and uh, i'll report back and uh, hopefully we can speak again very soon i had a lot of other questions but um, but we haven't got there and i know you, you've, you've got to dive off so thank you very much indeed uh, john Bockelman evans for, for your time and i look forward to speaking to you again very soon oh
1: you're welcome Fran. i've enjoyed talking to you
0: cheers thank you thanks a lot Thank you very much again to John Bockelman Evans there, who was talking to me, Francis Jones, on the Last But One podcast.